Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Eighth grade, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and Blind Spotting. <laughs> and as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for us to go again. Like, here we go again. Oh, Jason. Oh, boy, that, that title. Wow. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. They tell you what they're going to do, and they do it. Is that what they did? They say we're going to go again, and they do. They went again? They went again. God, they're always going. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, my man, what is up with you? Well, thanks for <laughs> the the real fever fervor I had for that question. <laughs> I felt it. Yeah. I'm scorched. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, to follow up on the story I told last week, mm, yes. Uh, if you recall, uh, last week I talked about an incident that I had in which I was. Um, sort of interviewing to potentially be a speaker for a podcast called Risk, a storytelling show, and then um, was kind of shocked to find one of the materials that they provided for tutorial purposes uh, was very, very um, insensitive in its uh, sort of advice from the founder of the show, Kevin Mm -hmm, Allison, mm -hmm. um, to a potential storyteller who wanted to tell a story about her own rape. And he was very glib about that and basically lectured about how she should tell the story and how she got her own story of her own rape all wrong. As of the last show, I had emailed them um, to express, like, to say, A, I'm, I'm not going to do your show because I think it's a bad fit. And B, you know, if I'm being frank, this is re- really, really upsetting, um, this part of that, mm-hmm. of, of your tutorial. Then the next day, um, I did hear back from my contact at risk. And, uh, and he thanked me for my honesty and, uh, and he said he was going to be passing. He said, as he's like, with regards to your comments about the tutorial, I, I, it's, I don't have anything to say about that. You know, I don't feel like it's within my place to, to comment on that, but rest assured that I will be forwarding your entire message along to the rest of the team, including Kevin. Mm. Um, Damn it, Kevin. And, uh, right. Q Catherine O'Hara screaming, get it. <laughs> that's, that's why that's what ran through my head. So I was like, okay, well that's that, you know, that's good. I guess, um, that he's going to see it. I didn't really expect anything more to come of it. Um, but then Sunday morning, they doxed you. They <laughs> <laughs> Fed showed up my door. <laughs> Kevin read the email. Nostrils flared. Fist clenched. He glared at me from across the internet. And they swatted you. <laughs> right. So as I was drug out the door in handcuffs, I was like, Kevin! <laughs> um, uh, no, so like two days later, I get copied on an email from Kevin Allison to his to the entire staff of Risk um, saying like, you know, it's been brought to my attention that, you know, that Jason had uh, took issue with the wording of the tutorial and I've gone back and listened to it, and I have actually decided to take it down and hey. to and to re-record not only that part, but a lot of parts. And he included a transcript of what he was now going to uh, to have in the tutorial that addresses that particular anecdote. Uh, and uh, and I shared it with you, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and and it was like it was night and day. 
Yeah, it, it was, was a completely different point of view. It was so completely thorough, so thoughtful, so respectful. And that's what had really bothered me about the initial was it was just it was so glib mm-hmm. and and sort of disinterested in the gravity of what he was talking about and also was completely ignorant of just the optics right, of right. this of this of this like cis white man lecturing a woman who's been raped and how to tell the story right, of her rape. Right. Um so the the new version uh Which is, I, the interesting thing is that like for being, that's like the theme of this podcast, right? Is that you're supposed to tell really rough stories, um, like right. hard to tell stories. That like this whole time people had been hearing this and it's still submitted. I feel like I would, regardless of what my story was, I would be like, wow, that this sounds like a real pain to like, this is a really harsh environment. If, if he's going to speak that way about that, that mm-hmm. story, then like no matter what your story was, I would be really intimidated yeah. and like put off in general about wanting to continue. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like on purpose, like if that's like a strategic thing where they're trying to like scare you off if you're not fully like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to do like this. It's the fight club of gay podcasts. It is. It is. Not, it's not even gay. Yeah. No, it is. It's like the fight club of storytelling podcasts. Uh, and that's called Joe Rogan. <laughs> and if it was meant to scare me off, it did. Um, but not before, you know, I was able to, you know, influence a good change being made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while it doesn't erase the fact that it was up for so long and that some people did hear it and that nothing was ever done, um, until now. And that was, and that's, so yeah, so it was a happy ending. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm still not doing the show, but <laughs> happy ending. <laughs> I still have reservations about listening to the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still not going to listen to it myself. Oh, you still haven't listened to it at all? Yeah, no, I still don't listen to it. And I still probably never will because I don't care about storytelling shows. Mm, or right. I don't care about listening to them, I should say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to perform yeah. with them. I don't want to listen to them. Just like I don't listen to the movie podcast. I just like to do one. Right, so, right. I'm a talker, not a listener. <laughs> I have, uh, people who listen to the show will be surprised to hear you are. As long as a bunch of cis white men can get together and agree to do the right thing, the world is going to be an okay place. <laughs> Which I think is what's happening, right? Yeah, I'm pretty I sure. I've been following the news because no. what's up with me is that I have been on vacation. Oh. I was on vacation, um, so I haven't seen any of the movies this week. Nope. Um, but uh, I was. I spent uh, five-ish days, five days in... Uh, I think we mentioned this last time, beautiful uh, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, part of the time uh, in Deerfield, Ohio, out in Amish Ooh. country, and a luxurious lake, uh, free from responsibility, Oof. and um, when clocks, you know, you just wake up when the sun wakes you up, you Oof. go to bed when you're drunk, you pass <laughs> right. out on the couch. <laughs> right, it's like you go to bed about an hour after you black out. Exactly, uh, you don't know what you did in that last hour, No, but you no. wake up with seawater in your shoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you Make succeed water. in disconnecting from your work email while you were I there? I did, I did a little light, light looking at the titles of things, mm. uh, but no opening of actual emails, Okay, uh, which is a win, that which is, is a win. All right, and when, when, you would, when you would look at the titles and the emails, would you feel your anxiety start to rise? Or? Mm, no, I think if I think if it had been anything that I would have you know spiked the uh, spiked the anxiety, mm. I would have opened it. Okay. But um, either it was a, it was an easygoing time where I was just like, well, there's nothing I can do about yeah. it here. Um, and also, it was literally only what like three days off, three business days. Yeah, three business <laughs> days. The things that we have to do just to take three business days off. It's, I know, it's, right? it's Comical. I uh, I had spent the first like 24 hours in my parents' house. And uh, how was your time with your family? Any uh, any fun political conversations or anything like that? A lot of political conversations. Um, my family is. Uh, <laughs> 
my family is uh, political in a way where they are um, they were very union Democrats, mm. right? They're like union um, immigrant Democrats, hmm. um, which is a, a lost category of people uh, yes. nowadays. I'm pretty sure that neither unions nor immigrants are allowed now. Right. Um, in anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so now my mom is very uh, cons- conspiratorial um, in a way that like the foundation makes a lot of sense. Um, but then at one point she got into a little bit, a little bit of the jet fuel steel, steel beams thing, <laughs> which like of all the conspiracy theories is the the basis of it, I understand. I mean, she's not like, Sandy Hook didn't happen. She's not crazy like that. But she's very like, yes, the government is like nothing. You you don't understand. None of us understand the government. Like, mm. there's so many things and everything's about, you know, who's getting like, oh, Jeff Fuel, as we've seen. My, 9-11, is that Jeff Fuel's steel yeah, beams? Oh, yeah. yeah, right. Their mom's like, oh, you're going to tell me that like, this isn't all about oil money. Then like the next day, it's like, Russian agent giving money to the NRA. And she's like, oh, and I was like, okay, all right. Well, I guess I can't think you're insane anymore but she still thinks that the like the american dental association is a is a huge racket and buys some sort of like weird off-brand toothbrushes uh, and keeps a microwave in the living room because it if you have in the small space like the kitchen it'll give you cancer there are few things in the world that i have less patience for than conspiracy theorists really oh man oh man do i hate it i hate it so much i mean there's a i mean i guess there's depends on what the conspiracy theory is yeah yeah if it's rooted in like uh, hate and crazy it's one thing but if it's like no of course like there are things that go, you, you don't know about the government sure i don't know where yeah. do you draw the line on what a conspiracy theory is i know well i remember there was like some profile maybe around the time of the election around like what kind of person becomes a conspiracy theorist oh, yeah yeah it's like people who yeah. don't longer believe in the government or religion or and well and people like they're like well it's a psychological need it's like the psychological need to be like oh no like I know what's really going on. There is a system for things. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> uh, oh, it's a know-it-all. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's like this this weird pathological need to be like, oh, no, the thing that everyone thinks is true, is it can't be true. And so what's the real truth? And I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to know it because I know things. Yeah, uh, I remember there was like, it's like how not to be one. And it's like, it's okay to question a bunch of things, but it's not okay to, to say that you know what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle there is like the okay ground of being like not, a, not a sheeple, right. but also not um, a, an insane person. Right. And then I was listening to this podcast about conspiracy theorists and they had this one about this guy that is, um, uh, I can't think of his name, but he has this whole, like one of his, one of his conspiracies was about how Beyonce was never pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one was, and he like, He's like, we have like never before released audio of the fight in the elevator with Solange and Jay-Z. And it's just like him doing all the voices. Um, And then he has another one about how there was something called like something Neo Soul Records in the 80s. Right. And then if you were part of that label, you had to give up your DNA and that um, uh, Jason Derulo and (laughs) Tristan Thompson and somebody else are all clones of the same... uh, one of the Wayans brothers. What? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So there's there's that. Oh man. Yeah. The, the one about about Jay Z and Beyonce was funny because he was like, um, "If you, yeah, it's like they're not a married couple. Like you know, it's just for business. For, obviously for the Illuminati. <laughs> and that and there's, if you can find a picture of them like tongue kissing or like him grabbing her butt, then like I'll send you five hundred dollars." And then they had on this podcast had on a, like a Beyonce specialist, mm-hmm. um, and she was like, "Yeah, there are tons of photos of them like on vacation and 
Um, it's just, yeah, it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. There's this kind of weird, I feel like a lot of conspiracy theorists have this sort of intellectual superiority complex where they're like, my intellect is higher than the average mm. schmuck. That's and, a hell of a conspiracy theory you have there. And so <laughs> that's not a conspiracy. <laughs> There's no conspiracy there. Mm. Uh, that is an armchair analysis. <laughs> uh, is what that is. That I'm fine with. I'm 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 a big fan of of, of armchair psychiatry. That mm, I mm, enjoy. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just uh, yeah. It just it just bugs. Uh, always has. Probably always will. I mean, they're the ones that are just plainly observable. Like obviously, Ronan Farrow is Frank Sinatra's son. <laughs> plainly observable and with but, the, like prince harry and that other guy but then when it gets into like is chloe kardashian oj simpson's son i don't know uh <laughs> you're like i i'm just gonna i don't i could go that, either way that one that one might be one of the annoying ones i don't know <laughs> uh but uh what do you all think is chloe kardashian oj simpson's daughter i want to hear from you um i would have no idea um you know what that pumpkin head could be um let's get to the movie shall we all right uh the first movie of this week is eighth grade which is our pick of the week 13 year old kayla endures a tidal wave of contemporary suburban adolescence as she makes her way through the last week of middle school the end of her thus far disastrous eighth grade year hey guys uh it's kayla back with another video so the topic of today's video is being yourself being yourself can be hard and it's like aren't i always being myself and yeah, for sure. But being yourself is like not changing yourself to impress someone else. A lot of people like call me quiet or shy or whatever. But I'm not quiet. Most quiet, Kayla Day. I don't talk a lot at school, but if people talk to me and stuff, they'd find out that I'm like really funny and cool and talkative. By the way, I like your shirt a lot. It's like so cool. What? Jason, this is one of your favorite topics, teenage girls. One of your least favorite. So I really wish you could have seen it. I wanted to see if this, like, if this broke the curse, mm. if this, if this would be the one to to make you think that this is indeed one. viable, compelling subject matter. Wasn't there one recently? Oh yeah, I think there was one, but I don't know what it don't was. Remember? Was it? No, don't remember. I mean, this this looks like it has a has a bit of an edge to it. Um, well, I guess Lady Bird was about teenage girls. Maybe that was the one. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't my pick of the week, but uh, <laughs> that was its fault for coming out the same week as Three Billboards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this one, uh, it's a comedy. Yes. And it is directed, written by... Bo Burnham. Old uh, Bo Burnham. Yes. Uh, comic, former YouTube sensation, uh, when he himself was a teenager... I mean, who isn't nowadays? You know, go. <laughs> sorry, I regret saying that already. <laughs> you want you want to yeah, pro tip? That, that's the no of, secret. What is that? I am in a YouTube video that has thirteen million views. I thought I knew you from Two Girls One Cup. I was I never I never <laughs> I was the knew. cup. <laughs> she's doing the pose right now. It's like it's amazing. She like, she just she's just cupping. She's right in front of me. Just give just giving me full cup. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I still get the royalties from that. Starstruck, starstruck. <laughs> uh, do you want people to be able to find this video no, of you? No, I don't, no. It's <laughs> she, me. She's just going to tantalize you guys. It's Go. me and a puppet, and it has 13 million views. Isn't that crazy? Guys, start sleuthing. See if you can find it. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're right, it's Despacito. <laughs> 
anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know a thing or two Don't about... I know a little uh, bit about internet you fame. Know, you know a little bit about internet fame. <laughs> you know a little bit about, about YouTube videos. Mm, a little bit. Yes. Just a little bit. Um, and so does Bo Burnham. And... Uh, and despite the fact that what he does not know about is being a 14-year-old girl, How or a 13-year-old girl, rather, um, you would think that he actually has lived every day of his life as a 13-year-old girl. Wow. Uh, based on the level of insight and empathy and candor uh, in this amazing, amazing movie. That's an interesting point. I think that like that's one of the ages where you people think there's the largest divide in what your experience is. Maybe because... Um, you're you're treated very much in the way of your gender and then you have school that is like has a lot of like activities and there's this whole like breaking into the dating scene but i don't know when you think back do you think of the experience of eighth grade as something that is universal or do you think that it's very like gendered based on um like you know american upbringing um i think that hmm i mean it's because i only ever experienced my own uh wait what (laughs) so uh yeah i I know that theory i know so much for splintering <laughs> um, I, I tried. Money wasted. I um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, I feel like eighth grade is terrible for everyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that seems to be a universal truth. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, but I guess for for Bo, when he was um, in the early stages of working on this project. He was just feeling a lot of anxiety about the world and about uh, life and about identity and all those things. And then that just led him to this story. Um, He's like, you know, who else really feels those things a lot? Everyone when they're in junior high. Yeah. And um, and I think, you know, one thing that making the protagonist female um, does allow him to do more is to also look at, um, you know, sexual dynamic. And the ways that, you know, the ways that young girls in particular are sort of subjugated by um, by sort of just gross, skeevy teen boys who are already mm. figuring out how to be predator and prey. Um, and also the ways that that is exacerbated by social media, by Snapchat. Um, and uh, so the movie is very, very savvy about uh, about that stuff. And this this young actress Um, who plays Kayla. Her name is Elsie Fisher. Um, She was herself only 14 when she shot this movie, in which her character is 13. And this girl is so amazing. Um, It feels like she she is so real. She is so real. It feels like a documentary when you're watching her. Mm. It's Um, even filmed a little bit in that style. Like it, It has a very unscripted feel. Yes, and yet it's thoroughly scripted. Like mm-hmm. every stutter, every um is is uh, is scripted, mm-hmm. and uh, and the actors are just so naturalistic um, that it feels like you're just watching it all happen. Um, one great line that I read um, uh, in a review of this movie was um, one critic noted that Bo Burnham comes across like um, an un uh, a non sociopath Todd Salons. <laughs> that seems like a non person. Then that's like a, that's anybody else. <laughs> Oh, no, he has that same kind of interest in um, in really sort of probing the small humiliations of mm. of of everyday unremarkable people. Okay, okay. So yeah, I guess like this is a welcome to the dollhouse. Yes. that is that is actually that that is very infused with empathy and heart, and not uh, and, crass. And- pushing people to be feel as awkward and squeamish as possible yeah i mean this movie definitely has awkward parts um but in every part of them it never feels like 
you're being asked to like you're not judging this person you're not thinking oh this person's such a dummy because i think mm-hmm. with todd salon's movies they're not judgmental necessarily either um and certainly with happiness the lack of judgment really bothered people right right um but i think what todd salon's movies do though is show it just ha- it reflects his sort of just general um misanthropy mm-hmm. <laughs> um and just view of all life as foolishness Right, and right. all people as as you know fools just you know staggering around and then dying yeah it's like a study of humans by a non-human yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh who's just like why does anyone even bother is basically <laughs> it's kind of the through line hot salons and dachshunds are amazing and that uh whereas bo burnham so far based in eighth grade is much more of a humanist mm. Um, and that is refreshing. And that is part of what makes the movie such a, a beautiful kind of touching experience on top of being very, very funny. Um, does the teenage experience here seem uh, dated? I know there's a lot of, like you mentioned, social media references. Mm-hmm. You think it's something that will say, like, you'll look back and say, oh, this movie clearly came out right before the end of the world. Or if you <laughs> or if you would say, we'll say that next this week, story is <laughs> this story is, uh, you know, timeless. I mean, I think anytime you have technology, then for sure it's automatically going to be dated at some point. Mm. Um, I don't know what the future holds when it comes to social media, um, but this movie definitely captures the exact moment we're in, in terms of the, just the overwhelming emphasis on like Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter. Well, I know when we watched Ingrid Goes West, you know, which is a movie that is very much based on, on, you know, Instagram, Mm -hmm. we still were like, but those feelings are so universal that it, um, it, it didn't, it didn't feel stuck in that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what this movie gets um, partially is that kind of, you know, it definitely does have because Kayla is making all these YouTube videos, but she has like the each one has like if it's lucky, it has like two or three views. No one's watching them, Mm. but she just keeps dutifully just like being like, well, this is what you have. This is what you have to do. Hi, guys. Kayla again. Mm -hmm. You know, today I'm here to talk about being yourself. Um, and you know, being yourself is hard, but it's like, what else could I do though? I have to be me. And, you know, just these kind of empty YouTube platitudes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, cause she feels like, well, this is what I had. This is what you do. This is, you had to, you have to exist to mm-hmm. exist is to, is to post is to put yourself on these platforms and to like, be like branding. And, you know, so I think it's very savvy about the current moment in that way. And I think also about like what people way younger than us have as just a daily part of their lives that we did not have um, since we were like the last generation to get to go through the teen years without the internet being a major presence and certainly long way away from um, smartphones. That really reminds me of, um, I watched the, uh, Netflix has one of those new uh, co- comedian specials. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a stand-up bit by Taylor Tomlinson, um, and we shared this really funny bit about social media and, the, and how she was with these girls and how they were just trying to. And she was like, "Hey, you know, they're like taking pictures and trying to, you know, like try, right. exist and uh, yeah. or, like prove that they exist." Right. Um, that that was that, and then also in this week's New Yorker, Zadie Smith has a really um, oh. amazing um, story um, that references that as well. Yeah, that's, um, that's kind of what it is. It's like she's trying it to, is. she's trying to prove that she exists, um, but she's also in this sort of in the identity crisis that kind of is junior high Mm. where you know she is because it's taking place in like the last week of eighth grade for her and um and she is facing down you know going moving over to high school the next year and uh is kind of at this crossroads where she is 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 being confronted with the gulf that separates who she has thought of herself as being with who she might actually be 
mm. and uh, and just looking everywhere for cues about like who am I, what am I, and um, you know, and it's it's very poignant and bittersweet, um, and it's something that I both related to and also didn't because where I grew up, we actually did not have a junior high per se. What do you mean? Well, we had grades K through six in one building and grade seven through twelve in another. Oh, yeah, that's weird. So, um, and my the my high school was technically called a junior senior high. Oh, um, which fun fact is where the band Junior Senior came from. No, um, <laughs> can't hear, well, I forgot about can't that. hear move your feet without crying. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that is something that I don't relate to. There was still there was definitely like an emphasis on like you know okay well we're here we're in the same building with all the old kids but like we're still not really in high school mm-hmm. because we're in seventh and eighth grade. Um, but I mean, it definitely made it a lot worse, big picture, to have to yeah, be in the same terrible. school um, with um, with all the older kids. It's quite a gulf there. How was uh, How was eighth grade for you? Um, eighth grade was um, I. I definitely had a break between grade school and high school, mm. and um, eighth grade was uh, my grade school years were not great. They were pretty bad. Um, but then when I went to high school, because I went to Catholic school for both, um, I went to a school that was a mix of people from other schools, so I didn't go with the same people from right. one to the other. Right. Um, so, you know, ninth, right, that's right, ninth, 10th, 11th, yeah. 12th, yeah, um, was, uh, was amazing. High school right. was great. Um, but eighth grade was really quite a nightmare. Mm. It was the last of the nightmare. And I think it's like in, without the internet. Um, there are people who know that they are like, you know, class pariahs. And then there are people <laughs> who know that they're not, but even those people know that they're not, you know, are still insecure. And mm-hmm. there's like kind of that middle ground where you're like, I don't know if anybody hates me or not, but you still feel crazy about it. Right. Um, I was a class pariah. <laughs> but the internet, if, because you want to participate in it right. because it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard for adults to stay off of it, let alone like kids. And you have filters, you look like a deer. What kid doesn't want to look like a deer? <laughs> Then you have this quantifiable way of saying mm-hmm. if you matter or not, or if people oh, like yeah. you or not. And then you have the 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 whole like you know worsening effect of people being meaner on the internet because you're hiding behind. Oh yeah, uh, the, it's, it sounds like a terrible oh. great age to be online. Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. Uh, you know, and my my eighth grade was no picnic either, mm. uh, because that was the first year that I I think talked to anyone about like the fact that I was gay. Oh no. And, uh, and then, uh, one thing led to another. And so basically I had this like crush on this older guy, uh, who was like my gym, gym teacher's teacher. assistant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was like the, he was like the PA or the mm. TA rather, uh, for my gym teacher. And, uh, and he was, um, just this very like street acting white guy. And, uh, that was my type all through those years. Mm, still a little so- vanilla ice. Still. Oh yeah. Oh, still have a soft spot. And um, you always tell me to shave my eyebrow. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I do apologize for the time you woke up and I was brandishing those clippers right at your eye. Yeah, I was scared. Um, that was me overstepping my bounds. Well, we learn. Um, so, yeah. So I had told this friend uh, that I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm really into that guy. And I felt like I was like coming to life on some level. Like, like, this is it. This is being alive. Like, I'm, I'm naming it. I'm saying it. I'm saying I like this guy. And, um, and she, um, and, you know, and she was very cool about it and very like supportive, but then it was also too good to keep to herself. Sure. Yeah. Don't trust anyone. No. Um, and, uh, and I can relate to this cause God knows I run and tell everyone everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. but, uh, but so she told this other girl, <clears throat> that's all it takes. And that girl then told the guy directly. And so then, so picture it, 
uh, eighth grade me walking onto the football field for gym class. Already terrifying scenario. Worst place I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And so there he is with all of my classmates. And he says in the voice that he used, Hey, Leroy, I hear you like me. And then I just died a thousand deaths in plain sight of everyone. Wow. And uh, that was the beginning of the end for me. Uh, yeah, no, dear I listener. Can't come back for that. No, 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 no. Uh, what was your response? Um, to just, you know, to be like, no, uh, convincingly. And, you, didn't go, uh, you just call him a fag and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> come on, you got to go with the program. I'm like, no, you want to suck my dick. <laughs> and, I just, and I just ran. Uh, just turned and ran. Uh, Arms akimbo mm-hmm, in, a, mm-hmm. in, in as masculine a manner as I could fashion. He said, hey, YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I'm, this is a straight acting run. <laughs> you ran right off now. like Gone Girl. This is what they call straight panic is, <laughs> is what you're seeing. Yeah, exactly. I ran off like Gone Girl. I did the, just the high stepping, uh, just like drunk slurring, running through the mud. That was that was, uh, that was the pinnacle of eighth grade for me. Um, so, uh, and that's the thing about. Uh, this movie is that's that... the thing about trust. Don't have it. <laughs> this is the thing about talking people to people. will stab you in the back to tell a good story. This is the thing about talking to people. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's the thing about this movie is that, you know, Bo has decided to make it about like, you know, it's not about, it's about an unremarkable person. So it's not about, it's not like an issue movie per se, although it goes into, you know, definitely gets into stuff about toxic masculinity and rape culture. And um, there's also a, a very jarring matter-of-fact scene of um, the kids being trained on an active shooter situation. Oh. Um, so, like, it, it's just masterful. And it never hits any of it too hard. Um, and uh, Still and, light. And I think that, you know, really what Bo's whole point was, um, and the way this tied into how he felt about the current moment, is that the lesson that Kayla needs to learn is that, like, this isn't going, this moment won't last forever. Mm. Um, and you know, which is, you know, sort of is reminiscent of the, it gets better movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what he was trying to tell himself about like life right now. Yeah. It's like this moment won't last forever. It feels like it will, but it won't. Right. And so I think that's kind of the, the bridge, um, that connects what he was feeling with what he is doing with this story. Um, so eighth grade is the pick of the week. You're giving it a binge oh. it. Yeah, this is probably going to be on my top 10 list. Ooh, very exciting. Uh, it's rated R for language and some sexual material. Um, now skipping ahead to a different kind of movie altogether. Mamma Mia, here we go again. In 1979, young Donna, Tanya, and Rosie graduated from Oxford University, leaving Donna free to embark on a series of adventures throughout Europe. On her journeys... She makes the acquaintances of Harry, Bill, and Sam, the latter whom she falls in love with, but also breaks her heart. In the present day, Donna's young daughter Sophie now dreams of renovating a hotel while also preparing to have a child of her own. There's a fire within my soul. Come on, girl! Just one look and I can hear about I've never felt closer to my mom. She wasn't scared because she had me. Mama Mia! can't tell anybody else about the baby, okay? I just told Bill. Yeah, and I told Harry. And I told many, many people. Whoa, mamma mia, here I go again. Let's get the party started. Grandma, you weren't invited. That's the best kind of party, little girl. I should not have let you go. All right, look, I'm not going to lie. 
I'm ready for this review to be over with already. <laughs> what's, a, what's a musical comedy like this doing in a podcast like that? Well, it's a gay podcast. I know. <laughs> and it's a movie that has Cher in it. So here we are. And Meryl Streep. Yes, and it's the first Cher movie at period. Cheryl Streep. It's the first. It's the first. There's my new drag name. It's yep. the first Cher movie period since we started this podcast because it's her first movie since Burlesque, um, mm. which is, of course, an all-time favorite of mine. Um, that was that was a while ago, and mm. uh, so now she's in this movie. Well, she's been doing all that tweeting. But uh, yeah, she's been very busy, and um, and she can, can do whatever the hell she goddamn well pleases, um, and I will applaud her for it. Let's talk about the really interesting thing. This, they they kissed. What? <laughs> Meryl Streep and Cher kissed? Oh, at the premiere? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're old They're old friends. Well, it seemed like it was a bigger deal than that. <laughs> Did it? Did I it seem know. that way? I thought so, from when I browsed the internet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Jason's loving this. Yeah, they. I mean, they were in Silkwood together. Oh, my God. Uh, what... That's Vietnam? Is that a battle in Vietnam? Battle of Silkwood? <laughs> no? Cher plays a lesbian in Silkwood. Um, mm. and it's from like 1983. Mike Nichols directed it. Um, and it was, uh, it was even a joke on Will and Grace once, uh, Jack had a share Barbie and he was like, look, he's like, it's Silkwood share. I'm a lesbian who's been exposed to nuclear waste. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, yeah. I guess all... I missed that, that joke in, uh, in, uh, Will and Grace. But, uh, uh okay. But, so what is, okay, let's do this thing. But speaking of, but okay, here's, oh, a, here's the thing you should all know about the whole, about the Cheryl factor here. Mm-hmm. Um, is that this movie breaks faith with the audience hard. Uh, because if you're watching, if you're going to go watch this movie and think that you're signing up to watch Meryl Streep and Cher um, do two hours of duets, um, I've, I've got some tough news for you. Um, you don't get any Cher, period, until literally over 90 minutes into the movie. Wow. And uh, I've got an even harder piece of news for you. The Meryl character is dead. They killed her. They killed her off between the first movie and this one. And they don't say what happened. She just is dead now. What? She's just dead. And, uh, and, they, and they don't give you any of the information that you need to grieve properly. Mm. Like, you know, like it's, it's, you know, like the stages of grief are out the window. Do you find out right away? Um, they kind of like they you kind of find out right away like they don't really say it but like you see Amanda Seyfried who plays her daughter um, sort of like mooning around the remains of this hotel um, that she's renovating because you know that's what her mom did and then there's like this like this very sort of like commemorative portrait of Meryl on the wall wearing her trademark overalls from the first movie. So you find this out early, and then you're spent 90 minutes sitting in that chair like a raw nerve before Cheryl can come and, and make you feel better? Basically, yeah. Like, I'm like, all I want right now is Cheryl to comfort me that Meryl is dead, and this movie won't give me that. And so then Meryl, because I was like, she's in the artwork for the movie. She has to be in here somewhere. And then at, at literally the very end, even longer than it takes for Cher to show up. Ghost. Uh, yeah, Meryl shows up for a ghost duet. With Amanda Seyfried, um, which actually was very moving and powerful, and then um, and then the real money maker. Literally, it takes until it takes until the actual end credits for us to see Cher and Meryl on screen at the same time. Wow! And whenever that did finally happen, I went yes in my seat. Uh, so that was a moment. It was a moment of great release because yeah. this movie is like a solid two hours, 
And so, and I had had, as you mentioned, that raw nerve, mm. that, 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 that just catatonic grief that mm-hmm. I'd been thrown into, um, just questioning the existential crisis of like, what matters? What is anything? Like, I, I unfortunately, I hadn't seen eighth grade before I saw Mamma Mia. And so I didn't have that wisdom of like, mm. this moment is temporary. Yeah. I felt like it was going to be forever. Just living in this, like this limbo where Meryl's dead, Cher's missing. Uh, you know, why live, you know, and you're, you're, you're just, you don't have the tools to deal with something like no, that. No, I'm not very immature. Yes. I don't emotionally. Have it. Oh my God. <laughs> Severely. I mean, no, Lordy, Lordy. Really a condition. Can't even cry. And then the thing that's even worse is that, so this movie has a dual timeline that apparently has read today was inspired by the Godfather part two. Um, <laughs> wherein uh, we have the present tense storyline where we have Amanda Seyfried and she is getting ready to have like the grand opening of this hotel that she's opening in memory of her mother. I hope it's subtle like Dunkirk. This is all by like a few hours. Yeah, basically. The, <laughs> right. Then, yeah. Then, yeah. Then Cher is like in a boat in one scene. And you don't realize there's different timelines until you see Cher in an airplane in another scene. Uh, so, no, I'm up here. How have I got here? <laughs> Nobody told her. No, she has no idea. She's like, oh, what kind of shit are you doing in this fucking movie? And then she's on that aircraft carrier. Yeah, no. And then she's doing it like a turn back time. Right. So she's like, I mean, I guess you hire Cher, you get Cher, okay? (laughs) Um, Very confused by the whole thing, but. So, uh, but yeah, so in the present tense, we have... They should never have, like, Christopher Nolan no, direct no. Mamma Mia 2. He's always going Coming to do... Coming back again. What is it? Here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> He's always going to do what he wants. Memento. He's always going to do what he wants. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, so that was... Anyway, should, sorry. Shouldn't have been surprised, but... So she's trying to open this hotel, and then she is also pregnant, and she's trying to manage her relationships with, like, her three dads and her estranged, semi-estranged, like, boyfriend, who in real life is her actual ex-boyfriend, Dominic Cooper. Um, Mm. They met on the first movie and were together for a while, but now she's married to Thomas Sadowski, and they have a baby. Um, So that's just a scandal is what that is, but... Uh, and so we have that whole sort of present tense storyline of like all the suspense of like how, you know, all the things that are going to go wrong when she tries to open the hotel and then waiting for the inevitable to happen where like all the other characters will finally show up and be like, we're here. And she's like, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> but then the flashback is trying to is trying to find a way to communicate this period of Donna's life when she was young and first came to Greece on holiday with her best girlfriends. Um, and, uh, and met these three men and because the whole, the whole, you know, idea of the first movie was that, that, that Amanda Seyfried could conceivably have been the daughter of these three different men. Oh my God. I can't believe I didn't know that. Who, who, who her mother, Donna, um, slept with in rapid succession. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that the movie like was it has sort of like furiously refuses to acknowledge is in any way unseemly. I mean, that, um, well, it's modeled after Godfather Three, <laughs> you know. That's why it's called Three, and um, it's actually two. Uh, but all the same, uh, <laughs> this is uh, and so basically, so I mean, we the have, first movie. So we have the oh, got it. So we have the flashback. <laughs> Damn it! So we have the flashback, um, and uh, oh, in which we watch Donna like take load after load from these three guys. Over the course of a few days, just raw dogging her way across Greece. And she's played by Lily James, um, who is best known for, well, she was in Downton Abbey and she was in Baby Driver. 
and um and god damn it she is so fucking bad <laughs> like it is it is the most insulting thing in the world to have her playing meryl um because mm. so because i mean she is an english actress but she is forcing herself she's trying to contort into an american accent because the character of donna is american and she does not quite grasp it and i feel like she learned an American accent by watching all Cecily Strong's characters on <laughs> SNL. That sounds amazing. Because she just like flattens every every vowel sound until it's so nasal. And then she hits her R's really hard. So she sounds like she's from Ohio. Uh, <laughs> it was music in my ears. I would say she went to the park. <laughs> she came out there and I was like, oh, you from Menor? <laughs> um, so. Uh, Girls from the headlands. <laughs> And she just so so she's and and she's just she does not convey the thing that has always made Meryl Meryl from the very beginning uh, has been that she naturally conveys such like an emotional um, complexity and interior life and intelligence and stillness and you're always like she's an intriguing presence. Lily James, frankly, just comes across like a really obnoxious basic ass bitch who's just romping around Greece in a giant floppy hat and just like scream laughing at everything. So and, a flashback to your trip to Nice. And, you know, I was like, I've done this already this year. I don't need you to see it. You are a woo girl. I'm, <laughs> I like to whoop it up. <laughs> um, and uh, so it is, she is so, and she's not like, she's not a great singer. And they have her sing probably 75% of the songs in the movie. Um, she is not a terrific actress. The one thing she's good at, and I will give her this, her hairography is on point. Um, it will, or I can't remember if it's a hairy or just hairography. Her hairography is on point. I'm sorry, what? Which is, um, when it's basically how you have to move your hair when you're dancing to like maximize, um, you know, the movement. Um, you know, because if you have long hair, there are lots of ways that you can just make sure that you're like whipping it. And um, and it becomes part of the dance, and it makes the whole thing sexy and adds volume. Mm. Um, this was explored at length on an episode of Glee a long time ago, um, and uh, so you'll notice, like, if if there's a female dancer who has long hair, um, you'll usually notice that she's doing a lot of hairography too, where she's sort of like being thought- Beyonce. Yeah, she's Beyonceing. You know, she's being thoughtful about like I'm going to use my hair as an extension of my dance. Oh, um, is that why I am not a good dancer? That is, and you. And the sad thing is that you. You throw your head around as if there is a long, luscious mane. Yeah, I thought it still kind of moved, no? And, and and I do that, too. Like, I have been called out in public before um, for doing a hair toss when I have no hair to toss. Mm. Um, it's still, like, I don't know. It's just it's just wired into me for some mm. reason. Just It's a natural reaction I have. I just do a hair toss, and I'll just kind of flip it back like that. I'm mm. just doing it right now. Yeah, you are. And, I, I mean, like, I do that all the time. I don't know really, why. Really, you do it constantly. I mean, and I feel like it's, like, I'm, like, it's a release for me. I'm just, like, really? that's the only way I can say with my body what I'm feeling. I don't think I can even do it. Oof. Let me try. Don't get, don't, don't have a stroke. Be careful. I hurt myself. Oh. I warned you. Um, I aggravated we, the kink that, of my neck. We have no workman's comp in this job. <laughs> um, so. So, can we just quickly, um. What is the Mamma Mia about? Why? Why were we? Why? What happened with the song? With the, there's a song, there's a band, and now there's a movie series. Can you just like paint that picture for me real quick? Yeah. So there was a band called ABBA. Sure. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> and they had songs. I'm not an idiot. And uh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> 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 you said that and then did a little hair toss and just hurt yourself worse. Uh, all that. Light jerk. up. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So there was a stage musical, a jukebox musical called Mamma Mia that be, was like the toast of tourist Broadway who, for who many years. 
Um, I don't know who actually was responsible for that. Um, but you know, they certainly had like Abba's involvement. Okay. Um, okay. and, uh, and so, and of course, like if a you Sondheim ask me, thing. There, you know, we already had an amazing Abba movie and that's Muriel's wedding. So we don't need any of this. Um, but, uh, but you know, it was, it was a giant and it was, and remains a giant blockbuster. It's the show everyone takes their mom to, you know, on Broadway in the West end, wherever it's a global sensation. Then naturally it became a money-making, um, mm. opportunity. Um, and, you know, the first one was remarkable because I think that was the first one came out right around the time that Meryl's sort of like late life superstardom was really cresting again. Mm. And then, you know, it was a remarkable achievement that, you know, to have because the first movie was such a money making monster and to have this international box office phenomenon that's, that's led by, you know, performance by an actress of Meryl's age was remarkable um and uh you know and it was just one of many unique performances that she gave because you don't necessarily think oh meryl musicals um but you know she did go on to do into the woods uh the movie so she mm. did sondheim she's a fine singer um but yeah so basically that's what happened so there was there was a chief of musical on broadway it's a big hit then they got the movie rights for it and made the movie was the first and, one good um the first one i know i never thought it was good no um it's definitely it feels like a guilty pleasure it's not like um you know in and it's part of the awkwardness of it or like the queasy joy of it is that almost none nay probably actually officially none of the actors in these movies are singers ah. um well, i'll say the, christine baranski christine oh, baranski yeah. i think is 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 actually like a broadway singer um but the rest of them are not singers, and um, and they're this and and they sing to varying degrees of sort of like karaoke ness. Mm. Um, the most notorious um, performance in the first film was Pierce Brosnan um, singing SOS um, uh, until it seemed like his lungs were about to just like flop out of his mouth <laughs> um, onto the Greek Isle. But and he even does a little a quiet acapella uh, uh, throwback to that in this in this new film. So yeah, so there's a kind of the weird spectacle of like celebrity karaoke, um, where you know you're you have actors who can't really sing. Yeah, basically before before Russell Crowe did Les Mis, mm. Pierce Brosnan mm. in Mamma Mia was sort of like the most embarrassing okay. thing, but like a non-singing actor in a musical. So yeah, so there's the weird factor of like the the morbid curiosity of sh- watching like famous stars like warble little Abba song, um, and you know it, it's just I think the first movie, yes, I think what I would say was better. I still don't think it was good. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a guilty pleasure for a lot of people. And this one is a... Uh, are you looking for my rating here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say... Mm, I would still say it's a consumer moderation. Oh, I know. so gay. I know. It's not a full... I mean, I can't send it back if it has Cher in it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Cher, yeah. Cher singing Fernando, no less. Yeah. Um, as know. a duet with Andy Garcia. Oh. Yes, I wow. married the lead. Uh, yes, her and Andy Garcia. His character, we find out, we don't find out until the very end that the character is named Fernando. And as soon as, as soon as you do find out, the audience groaned. Ah, <laughs> and he's also dead. They're like, here we go. <laughs> That's okay. And they're going to sing, oh, yep, yeah, Fernando. Here we go. Um, again. So, so, but yeah, no, it's a consumer moderation for me. I mean, I can't be that. It's, it's, it's stupid as fuck, obviously. And I hated Lily James. Um, but it has share in it, so consume. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is rated PG-13 for some suggestive material. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Blindspotting. Colin must make it through his final three days of probation for a chance at a new beginning. He and his troublemaking childhood best friend, Miles, work as movers and are forced to watch their old neighborhood become a trendy spot in the rapidly gentrifying Bay Area. 
When a life-altering event causes Colin to miss his mandatory curfew, the two men struggle to maintain their friendship as a changing social landscape exposes their differences. What is this? Oh, oh, oh. This. hey, hey, I, I would like to get out. Look at this. I'm better one in the glove, though. Yeah. I, guess I ain't trying to go back to jail. $200 for Colin's Not Colin's gun. Very nice. Oh, I just got an Uber pickup. <laughs> you got it. Is this an Uber? Hell yeah. Tell him, slow down. No, you can't catch me. I'm on too fast on the gas. Don't chase me. Put him up like this, you guys. I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. Do me a favor. I got three days left on this probation. When you got that gun on you, just don't tell me about it. Plausible deniability. Oh, do you mean this gun? Get out. <laughs> Good night, Colin. Go. Bro. Stop. Stop. Don't you. Don't shoot. So Oakland is really becoming kind of a, a a spot that's a representation of a lot of things going on. And it's hard to tell for me if it's just a really accurate representation of what's happening in the Bay Area because we are in the Bay Area and we mm-hmm. know all the, the nuances. I live in Oakland. Um, or if it's uh, a mirror to a bigger thing that's happening in the country. I think this movie has a... a clearly a police violence aspect that is that is you know bigger than the bay area mm-hmm. but what do you think do you think that this uh this movie speaks to to bigger societal issues uh, uh yeah i would say so um and this movie has a lot of ideas it's about a lot of things you know some would say too many um it doesn't balance them with the most grace um it's it's a first film all around it's the first film um that is written by its two stars david diggs and rafael casal mm. who are themselves lifelong best friends who grew up in oakland um it's the first film directed by i believe his name is carlos lopez estrada um and uh but yeah no i think that you know it's about gentrification which is something that is not just here Mm -hmm. it is about um police brutality against black people which is not just here Mm -hmm. um it is about um it is about white privilege which is something that's not just here so Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that you know it has its specific details in terms of you know um oakland stuff this is much more um this is much more of like an oakland travelogue than sorry to bother you was Mm. Um, because for all the talk about Sorry to Bother You, it's like, Oakland movie, Oakland movie, Oakland movie. Like, it doesn't, like, I think we talked about in the review. It never even says. No, that, it does, actually. Oh, it does so it? I had seen okay. it after we went to the review. They they do say Oakland a couple of times. But, okay. um, but other than that. N- it doesn't really, like, have, like, its fingers pointed to itself, like, Oakland, the entire time, the right. way that this movie super does. Um, so, because, you know, I think that, you know, Boots Riley was, his aim was for something uh, more conceptual, mm-hmm, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, this one is much more about, like, the day-to-day Oakland life. And uh, it, it takes great pains to photograph as much of Oakland as it can ah. and to uh, to show all kinds of different parts of it. And, um, and, and amazingly, never really looked like any of the same parts of it as sh- that are shown in Sorry to Bother You. Hmm. Um, except for, I think, I think the one bar, um, the bar where the inside of it kind of looks like... Oh, um, the layover. Is that is that was that the interior too? Is the layover of the is the interior mm, of the layover kind of like a almost tiki looking place? Is that a, I'm not sure. Okay, I've only um, been outside. It looked like the interior was shown again in this movie, but whatever that bar is. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so this is this is a much more um, like rah rah Oakland movie, mm. and um, you know, and has a lot more sort of concrete conversations in it um, that are more grounded in terms of 
gentrification and tech culture and all that stuff. And it's not like, you know, it doesn't really break a whole lot of new ground in those conversations. And some of the jabs are a little kind of like 101. It's like, oh, they just love $10 green juice and, you know, things like that. Or I mean, they just opened that $8 lemonade store in Valencia. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. There's an eight. Or maybe it's 12. I oh, don't know. God. No, yeah. I, I did not. Uh, I did not hear that. You know, uh, so, I mean, it's real. Yeah, it's all real. Um, you know, but it's not new either. You know, it's been going on. Um, is it, was in Pulp Fiction, was it a $5 shake or a $10 shake? I don't remember. I think it was five. Yeah. God, and that's, that's be like, oh my God, a shake for only $5? That'd be like, that'd be a find. Right? Um, inflation, yeah. guys. Shake inflation. It's real tough. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, like when, when you see a movie about Oakland and, 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 you know, you read a lot about it in, in the press and it, it, in that way, Oakland reminds me a lot of Cleveland in that very like, oh, somebody's like looking at us or like the person from here is doing something. Right. Um, and even like a lot of the gentrification and the police brutality issues. And, and again, a lot of those are, are very universal, of course, mm-hmm. um, remind me a bit, you know, having just been back um, yeah. of that, of that kind of split. And Cleveland is, is a more diversity. Like, uh, I guess I'm the third thing I'm comparing it to is San Francisco, which is like a complete outlier. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's another one of the ways that, that Oakland reminds me of Cleveland so much. Um, so this movie, next question about it is that, uh, there are parts of it that seem like a comedy. Yeah. Is it something that, um, maintains its humor throughout or is it, this is like so lighthearted until like everything gets incredibly real and then it sort of like trans transfers yeah. what kind of movie it is. Yeah. It's super uneven. So the first two thirds of it are by and large a really really loose playful buddy comedy and um although it is in the first act that divi diggs character does witness the police shooting Mm. of an unarmed black man um but then the movie just kind of backburners that for a long time um and uh and we know that you know and he kind of because he acknowledges that like yeah this happened it was fucked up but like I can't do anything right now to put myself on the police radar because I'm a few days away from my parole mm. ending. I can leave this halfway house. And um, and then, yeah, it, it kind of, you know, it doesn't do the best job of communicating that it's continuing to wear on him until kind of closer to the end. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's the first two thirds are, yeah, just like loose, goofy, playful, you know, uh, mixed race buddy comedy. And then the final third is blisteringly intense drama. And, uh, and it is, it is jarring and it is not totally successful. Hmm. I hate that I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> You're like, I want to like, fight you on I it. I want to fight you on it so <laughs> bad from, from the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, cause it, it's really, yeah, the, the, the first two thirds are this really kind of like meandering, um, kind of almost vignette driven, uh, you know, portrait of these two guys. And, um, you know, and the, and the dynamic between them, uh, and especially the racial dynamic between them is ultimately what's most interesting about it. And the movie, again, it waits until very late in the game to really acknowledge it. Mm. Um, because, you know, so we have Colin, who's played by David Diggs, and then we have Miles, who's played by Raphael Casal. And, um, you know, and there is very clearly uh, an imbalance between them in terms of how they are allowed to express themselves Mm. um and while feeling safe you know so for colin um you know even without the circumstances that are you know with his needing to be on his best behavior um you know so he can get out of parole 
he is still also, you know, like a tall black man um, in Oakland. And so he is always minding his P's and Q's and is, you know, terrified of, you know, of exactly what he watches happen to someone Mm -hmm. else happening to him. So Colin is very, like, he has to keep all of his sort of, like, fear and anger and, and, you know, all those things really just bottled up and just has to present, you know, this very, like, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally, you know, everything's great and I'm, I'm minding my business and keep my head down and we're, we're good. Meanwhile, Miles, um, who wears a grill, uh, is just a total loose cannon. Um, and he is, he's very loud. He's very gregarious. He has like oceans of swagger. He can get violent on a dime and he has been able to be that way, um, his entire life with no consequence really, um, because he's white. And, Mm. um, and so, and it's something that he doesn't look at and doesn't examine because there's always the understanding between Miles and Colin has always been that they're like the same. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and um and they they have you know they've grown up together they've done everything together and so it's kind of like well you know we're 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 bros you know we go back forever we're the same and like it's almost like our really our, our friendship is, is is above race um you know mm-hmm. like that's not a factor for us and that's certainly something that i think miles is is more allows himself to think is true um mm-hmm. and i think colin knows it's not true but he doesn't bring that up mm-hmm. but then basically circumstances lead to it being brought up and uh, so and that's far and away the most interesting part of the movie um, is just following that thread through, um, leading to quite a confrontation. Um, and they're both great. Um, you know, David Diggs, I have, you know, had a crush on since he first started getting famous for Hamilton. And mm-hmm. then he showed up on like Blackish and Kimmy Schmidt. Um, but Raphael Casal is like, he is, he is a volcanic screen presence. He's one of those guys where you're like scared watching him um, because you just don't know what he's going to do. And this goes back to right into your type. Exactly. I know when I was saying when I was saying earlier, I'm like, oh, white guy King street, like Raphael Casal in this movie. Um. So, uh. But yeah, it definitely gets. It starts to get. mm, I mean, it probably. Oof. Yeah, it definitely starts to get very heavy handed in the final act, and um, and it has bits along the way where it's it's yeah heavy handed, and um. So it's not the most artful um execution of the particular story that they're trying to tell. Is it that just the um like the outside forces that happen to them are are exaggerated or is it that there's just like a lot of like very, you know, uh, meaningful dialogue that is heavy-handed? There's a lot of I mean there's a lot of, you know, kind of obvious foreshadowing. Uh there are some things that happen plot-wise um especially in the end that are really tough to swallow. Um, in terms of believability, in terms of believability, okay. very it gets, it gets to be very contrived um, mm. in parts, and it has this kind of climactic scene. This movie has a version of um, <laughs> of Mary uh, of Mary Steenburgen's uh, Meatloaf dance from, <laughs> from Book Club. Um, it's not what? that. It's not that exactly, but it's like if Coach shows up in this movie, <laughs> Craig T. Nelson shows up in this I movie, I'm gonna you. lose my goddamn mind. I would tell you um, where you know you have this climactic kind of semi-musical performance by one of the stars and it here we go again and similarly to that mary steenburgen dance i feel like it's like a make or break moment where either you're like this is the pinnacle of this entire movie <laughs> or you're like this is really embarrassing and hard to watch and, oh, and i was in the latter camp of course um i should also note um that the uh the murdering cop in, in question in this film is played by ethan embry 
Oh. And I did not know until the credits because, wow, does he look different. He always does. Yeah. He's chameleonic, that one. Well, but he wasn't back in the day. He's always just like, you know, cute little like ginger twink mm. showing up and can't hardly wait and biggest vacation. And then he went away for a while. Then he was in Sweet Home Alabama, I mm. think. Then that was when he first was like, oh, he's some, something's happening. <laughs> and this movie, not even the beginning of a clue that it was him. But uh, but yeah, and there's there's other, you know, Tisha Campbell Martin is in it for one scene. That's Who's that? From Martin. From, oh. Yeah, Martin's girl. Oh. Uh, she's in it for one scene, and it is a very funny scene. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the movie is like, has like, fitfully, it's very, very good. Um, but yeah, it just, it really buckles under the weight of every possible, like, first movie curse. Here's the thing. Um, I mean, okay, do you feel like first movie, Boots, uh, Boots Riley, A+, plus. this movie, obvious first movie, big disparity between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're both examples of first movies where the filmmaker has, is, is chasing more ideas than they can really, um, cor- properly focus on, mm. um, and to do justice to, but I think that Boots' movie ultimately is, is way more focused and more successful, mm-hmm. um, than this one. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you next week the what's up with me, unless something incredible happens to me, I'm well, going to give you my review of this movie. You're going to tell me how racist I, I am. I'm going to tell you <laughs> we're not the same, Jason. Stop thinking we are. <laughs> it's funny how you don't recognize that. <laughs> it's funny how people don't recognize that. Not you. I mean, you're a tall loose cannon. Yes. But that, I don't think about it in our dynamic, but I just think about relationships I've had before yeah, where yeah. I've been called like a stick in the mud and, mm. um, and, uh, no fun. And uh, yeah, but enough, about, know, like, but enough about our iTunes reviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, but enough about my Tinder profile feedback. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, it, it took me a long time to, to realize, um, that it's like, oh no, we just actually think the repercussions of our actions are going to be way mm-hmm. different, um, in the world. And it, at one point it, like, I didn't realize it's like I was in couples therapy, it, like mm. a light went off and it was just wow. like, wow. Yeah. I just, I, that's why I don't think I can do it. Cause I think I'm going to get yelled at and caught and you are like, everyone's going to think whatever you do is adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, which uh, it's a it's a weird thing to, yeah. on both sides to to realize. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know we all only know the way that the world looks at and perceives mm-hmm. us, which is what's really great about what's happening now, mm-hmm. and what's really great about people being able to capture so much of this on on right. uh, on, on film is that it's it's becoming obvious to everyone because people don't want to don't want to admit that that's what's what's happening. Um, so, what are you giving this one until I? Change your mind next week. Uh, well, I will. Well, I'll, I'll I'll double down then and say it's a consumer moderation, and that way it has a place for you to take it. Uh, so yeah, I would say for for now, I'm going to say it's a consumer moderation for me. There there are pieces of it that I really like, but I, I just thought that it worked less often, um, or yeah, it worked less often than it didn't. Okay, you um, listeners, you're going to watch this movie this week and you're going to come back and you're going to see if you agree with me or, or Jason next week. I like, I am already setting myself up. I haven't seen the movie, but I'm convinced I'm going to like it more than you. No, we'll see what happens. Um, but we're going to, we're going to loop back around on this one next week. Um, blind spotting is rated R for language throughout some brutal violence, sexual references and drug use. And Jason, that is it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe um, on your podcast app. Um, check out Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. And I am at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.
Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.